Good morning. Let's hear the word of God from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. These readings are from the translation of the Common English Bible. What is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Do they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. Are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from the earth, natural and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and everything that is evil. What of the wisdom from above? First, it is pure, and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. James is pretty straightforward, isn't he? Not always uplifting, but straightforward. Uh, Let's pray together. God, we give thanks for the word of God that helps us live lives of love. I pray that any words that I might say today might not get in the way of what you would have for us. Open our hearts, our minds, and uh, set our hearts on fire. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So James poses a very important question, I think, for us. It's penetrating, and it starts out, are any of you wise and understanding? Are any of you wise and understanding? How would you answer? How would you answer? We don't know the answer. We don't know the answer, right? So as I was reflecting on this this week, I thought about what do you think his tone and inflection was when he was writing this? I mean, it could have been like accusatory. Are any of you wise and understanding? Or it could have been inquisitive. Are any of you wise and understanding? I, I don't know that it matters, but I think that the question matters for us to think about and ponder and reflect deeply um, on our own answer. And so the, our key verse this week, which will appear on the screen, says, uh, it's from James 13, uh, 3.13. It says, show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. In the, in the NIV, it says it a little bit differently. It says, let them show it by their good life. Let them show it by their good life. So what does a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom actually look like? You know, I sent out a weekly email for those uh, at the portico. I sent out a weekly email, and somebody responded 
uh, to it and gave her definition of a wise person. I'd like to share it with you. This is what she said. She said, wise people accept the world the way that it is and recognize and honor the opportunity to make it better. It's a lifelong journey. Fools refuse to learn. They insist on holding on to the only ways that feel comfortable to them. And as a result, they fight with life and remain cut off from their God-given potential. This route can be a lifelong journey too, but it has a less joyful tone and end. You see, James in the scripture uh, proclaims that there are two kinds of wisdom. Wisdom from above and then wisdom from not above. And we can derive wisdom from God or the kind of wisdom that the earth peddles. We, we have our choice. And sometimes we do both. But those kinds of wisdom, the earth's wisdom and God's wisdom have different starting places. They have different purposes and results. And so we're going to try to answer to the best of our ability how James might tell us to live humbly from the wisdom of, above. There's a meme going around Facebook um, that says, wise decisions come from experience. And experience comes from making bad decisions. Does it not? How many of you have made some really poor choices in your life and then suddenly you're like, wow, wise, right? Um, what's that? Uh, that's true. That's true. Absolutely. And, and, and that actually ties in to what I was next going to say. There, Meister Eckhart, this guy, a Christian mystic, he was actually excommunicated from the church, but now he's a doctor of the church, which means his teaching is elevated to a higher level. He said this. He says, do not repent too much for the value of sin is great. No wonder they excommunicated him. So what, what he was saying there was like, when we mess up or when we make foolish or unwise decisions, it's from those decisions that we begin to find God and God's grace and his wisdom. So in the Old Testament, in the Psalms and Proverbs, this is what uh, they assert. They assert the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, fear in this uh, context doesn't just mean being scared or fearful, although I'm not saying that fear doesn't have a role in wisdom and aiding the process. When I have failed miserably in my life and when I was stuck in addiction, I can tell you fear helped me move in a different way of living. So fear isn't it's not just about fear of God, he's going to get me, sizz me, whatever. It's more than that. It's this awe. It's this reverence. It's this grace that God, that God gives us. Because from a biblical standpoint, acquiring wisdom isn't just about knowledge and information. I know some very, very intelligent theological people that know so much, so much about God and the Bible, but their application falls short. And I know some folks who just love like Jesus loves, but don't know all the theological concepts. So I think that wisdom is found in that deep grace of Christ, that deep knowledge of God in our hearts. 
But there's something at the foundation of the earth's wisdom that shuts out God or perhaps veils us from God's wisdom. And from that foundation comes many challenges to living a life trying to follow in the way of Jesus. And James is going to show us. But to illustrate it more vividly, I want to use some aids here. Kids, you know what this is? Coconuts. I tried to find really big ones, but I couldn't. This is all that Publix had. So, coconuts. What the heck does coconuts have to do with anything? It's a story about a monkey. Some of you might know this story. Hunters had a lot of different... You want to hold this? Right? I'm going to throw it to you. Right? You can hold that. All right, so monkeys. Monkeys. Agile, fast creatures. And hunters were trying to catch them, right? And so... They, they were having trouble until they devised this brilliant, brilliant trap. So here's what they did. They took either a jar or a coconut or a heavy gourd, and they cut a hole in it, and they emptied it out. They emptied everything out, and they put food inside of it. Okay? They put peanuts, or if it was a larger jar, uh, jar or gourd, they'd, put, they'd slide a banana down in it. And so the monkeys would, would find this food, and they'd go in, and they'd put their hands in it, and they'd grab it. But the problem was, here's what happened. They made the hole large enough that their hand could get in, but small enough where their fists couldn't get out. So the monkeys would grab that food. They'd have their food in that, in that coconut or that gourd, and they'd try to pull out, and they couldn't get their arm out. They were stuck. But here's the weird part about it. All they needed for freedom was to let go, but they wouldn't. Even with hunters coming, approaching, they wouldn't let go. They wanted that food. And that, that desire got them captured. So you might say, you might say, here's a, show that picture, there it is. You might say, that the monkeys were captured by their craving. They had the ability to let it go, but they wouldn't. They were captured by their craving. And you know, food isn't, wasn't what captured them. It was the desire underneath of it. And that's what can happen to us too. Sometimes we hold on to things just like the monkey. We hold on to it. So this is what James says. And we read it, but I want to read it again. What is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't have, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions and you waste it on your own cravings. Addicts and alcoholics get this clearly because eventually their lives are destroyed by their cravings. But even if you don't struggle with substances, food, or other kind of addictions in ways that are destructive, I submit to you that you have cravings too. We all do. They just might be a little bit more 
disguised. They might be a little bit more well hidden from the world. Many of us grip money or the chasing after of money or pleasure, security, or a relationship. Kept chasing after that wrong person, holding on, or other ways that are hidden from others. This is what Timothy says about kind of the the seeking after money. This is what he says. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, for the love of money, for the craving for money, is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You know, I've witnessed, and I've seen it in my own life too, by the way, people with their hands in the coconut, unwilling to unclench that fist. And it didn't matter whether incarceration was going to happen or divorce or family estrangement or job loss or illness or homelessness or death rapidly approaching them. They just couldn't release because of their craving. So at best, craving can lead us away from God. At worst, it can absolutely destroy us. And it's an integral part of our human experience. It's not all bad. Our instinctual desires are, it's just a part of it. But what happens by the nature of being human, they just kind of get out of whack. And then we become discontent. And we chase after the worldly wisdom rather than the wisdom above. So here's my question for you. What's your hand gripping in the coconut? What are you clenched onto and unwilling to let go? Is there anything in your life, anything at all, that you need to release to God for freedom in Christ that's found in Jesus? If so, you have a time to pray in a little while. At the root of craving can sometimes be fear or a lack of trust. There's this fear that there won't be enough or that we aren't good enough or that actually letting go of whatever it is that we're clenching actually won't satisfy us. It's, it's like a journey into the unknown, a journey of, of, of surrender and of letting go. And that's an issue of trust. It's an issue of trust in God. So on your uh, sheets today, it says, the good life is based on wisdom, and the foolish life is based on craving. If we're run by our crazy cravings, we're going to make some foolish decisions. James uh, 13, uh, I'm sorry, James 3.14 lists out how the craving might manifest. He says, however, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. James says we'll have the following if we live from craving, and those are those four um, B words 
uh, write down, packed in that one little scripture. The first is bitter jealousy. We will crave more of what we don't have and forget what we have, right? When we crave that, I'd like to just have a little bigger, bigger house, nicer car, whatever that is, it sometimes can blind us from what we have right here. The second is blind ambition. There's a, human, uh, there's a Hebrew saying that says this, ambition destroys its possessor. Ambition destroys its possessor. Now, I'm not saying don't be ambitious. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that ambition can lead us to just focus on the accomplishments that we haven't had or haven't done, which makes us fail to realize what God has done in and through us as a result. The third is boasting. In boasting, we crave lifting ourselves up, making our egos feel lifted up, which ultimately makes us not focus on those that we can lift up. But boasting is our culture, isn't it? In the, in the selfie Facebook uh, land and, and talking about our accomplishments and showing what our business is, we have to kind of boast about our attributes and our skills and all that kind of stuff. But James says that's, that's coming from a craving. And then last, he says, being untruthful. Sometimes we crave casting reality that favors us, even if it's like partially the truth, and less about how it really is. And James is saying that these are the world's wisdom and their lies. And they don't actually lead us to living a life based on humility and love. And so he lists the antidotes, like bullet, bullet points, uh, just like he listed those. And here they are. There's a bunch of them. The first is purity. Purity, living a life based on God, is living a life of purity. And it's centered on God's love, aware of our own harmful or destructive intentions, and connected with others. You see, we need to be connected with others to live this way because we don't see when we're blinded by our own craving. Unless it's like really obvious that we're screwing up. Like the subtle stuff is why we need each other in Christian community so we can live lives more full of love. The second is gentleness, a life that bridles angry flare-ups. We've been talking about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. And we respond with calmness whenever there's adversity around. We respond with calm. The third that he says is obedience, a life that offers my will to God and, and asking God if that actually is the way that I should go. That's why it's the, the prayer, thy will be done, is such a great prayer. God, please, please help me in X, Y, Z. Thy will be done. Your will, but not mine. One of the best prayers there are, obedience. Mercy. A life based on godly wisdom is a life full of mercy. Who, brothers and sisters, who in your life, who in your life do you need to be merciful to? Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to show yourself mercy, but maybe you need to show others. Who can you forgive? Who can you be tolerant 
towards. Two more. Fairness. A life that doesn't play fairness, that does not play favorites, that tempers prejudice and treats everyone with the divine mark that they shine with. Every single person bears the divine mark of God and therefore has dignity. And we can treat them as such. And last but not least, and this might be the hardest one, especially in our time with divided places, of divided beliefs, divided politics, a divided world, peace with justice. A life that enters into conflict rather than avoids it and works to bring resolution and restoration in people and places that are in war with one another. Now, you might be thinking, James, great, you vomit that out in one verse. How do we actually live it? How do we actually live purity, gentleness, obedience, mercy, fairness, and peace with justice? And I just want to give you three simplistic but not easy ways that you can apply it this week. They're not on your sheet, but I think they, they've helped me, and I think they come from the text. The first is starve. Sometimes we have to starve the craving. We have to figure out a way to starve what we've been going after and grabbing. I don't know what that looks like for you in your life, but if there's something that you have a hold on that you're unwilling to let go of, you have to find a way to starve the craving. And I imagine that you can't do that on your own, so you might need some Christians, brothers and sisters to do it. If you're struggling with something and you want to pray during communion, please come up. But that's about, you know, as Christians, as people falling in the way of Jesus, here's something that's beautiful. Here's something that's hopeful. Here's something that we can rely on. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that's given to us in baptism says that we can resist evil. We can resist it. Sometimes that comes in the form of supporting uh, being supported by others. So the first one is starve your craving. The second one uh, and the third one come from just a few verses after of what we read um, today. And I just want to read it to you. It's from uh, verses 7 and 8, chapter 4. It says this. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So the last two are first, spend time with God. Spend time with God. If wisdom actually begins with the awe of God, then we should actually spend some time with God so that we can be in awe. And that will look different for some of you. It might be going on a bike ride in the morning or listening to music or reading the scripture. You don't all have to do it the same way, but spend time with God. Come near to God. And it says, James says, God will come near to us. And last but not least, and this is the hardest, this is the hardest, submit. Submit. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you. You see, 
Some people get nervous by that devil name. Is there a devil? Does he actually have horns? Uh, when you hear the word demon or devil, the primary, we, I would say the doctrine of original sin is the most provable doctrine uh, that there is. We just have to look around at the evil around us. But the demons is about division. It's about dividing us from goodness. It's about dividing us from love. So whether or not you believe in a little horned uh, devil or not, what you can know is that there are forces conspiring to divide and, better news, there are forces desiring and conspiring to unite in love. And we can align ourselves around those, that spirit. So as you starve, as you spend time, and as you submit, you will live wisdom. You will live a good life day by day, moment by moment, week by week, Sunday by Sunday. And you'll find the ability, like the monkey, or unlike the monkey, to let go. I don't know what you're holding on to, but God is with you. And the invitation is to live a life based upon love. May we do it together this week and share it with others. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.